Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you. But no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we are meeting by visiting solelychurch.com. S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. Uh, Pastor David made reference to a call that's gone out um, starting from Canada and, and now into the United States that specifically North American pastors, churches, church leaders would stand together and break from our normal preaching schedules <clears throat> to address uh, the topic of biblical sexuality and sexual ethics. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at this issue that's been brought to us by really a, a culture that's defined by confusion. And while standing together with our brothers and sisters in the United States and Canada against government forces of evil that seek to prevent the bride of Christ from speaking truth about sexual ethics, something that is fundamental to our humanity and who we are as, as people in general. And uh, I, I want to say, simply put, it's being recorded right now that the pastors of Soli Church, we will never be silenced on this issue. We will stand firm and preach the entire and full counsel of God, regardless of uh, what any government authority seeks to impose upon us. Luckily, right now, it is always better to have an atmosphere and an environment of uh, free speech, and we are protected by that, and that liberty has been afforded to us by our Constitution, but it's greater than some Constitution uh, from, from 1776. It's a, it's a right, really, that's founded in the person, the work of God. So <clears throat> we, uh, we don't rely on, on the laws of men. We rely on the laws of God. And that's what we're about here at Soli. Um, so in the wake of the Canadian government passing Bill uh, C-4, which is really interesting because C-4 is an explosive. Uh, so I'm, I'm, hoping they, uh, I'm hoping something explodes, to be honest with you. Um, we will not be silenced. Uh, we are the bride of Christ. And we put government authorities, earthly authorities, man-made philosophies on notice this morning hear us now with one voice. The undying love of God and his never-ending grace compel us to be faithful to proclaim radical transformation at all costs. Many of us have experienced this radical transformation, and having experienced this radical transformation, we can speak to its authenticity and its truth. If you've been following the news just briefly, this morning's going to be a little bit different, guys, and, uh, and I hope that's okay. Um, I just want to update you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, the Canadian government last week voted to codify Bill C-4 and make treatment, therapy, counseling, or any type of service to help someone with uh, even unwanted uh, same-sex attraction, sexual desires, or gender-related issues ultimately illegal. Now, there's, there's a lot of court precedence that has to happen. There's a lot of unknowns. Pastors aren't going to be suffering in, in jail this morning because they're speaking on this, but they certainly will be sued and fined and drug into court. Um, C4 says that any attempt to change sexual desires 
to a predetermined understanding of what's right, good, or true. And this, for example, is the normative biblical Christian understanding of gender and sexuality. Now the bill says this, and I quote, based on and propagates myths, myths, and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. Basically what's happening here is the Canadian government is declaring the Christian sexual ethic as mythical, simply a story made up by men uh, years ago with very little, if any, relevance to how we live our lives today, and that is not what we stand upon. We stand upon truth dictated by history, and uh, the bill goes on, and, and, and you know, it's a slippery slope argument sometimes, I think, when this stuff's prepared. Oftentimes we lean into the slippery slope, but the slippery slope isn't just a logical fallacy. It's, it's real. It's true. This is what we're seeing happen in Canada right now. Uh, very soon, I, I'm no prophet, I'm not, I'm just saying what I see, that um, we already see it here in the States. The biblical sexual ethic is viewed as dangerous um, and even detrimental to society. We're dismissed as bigots, hateful, uh, homophobes, and against people, which just isn't true. You know, and, and ultimately the passing of this bill and bills like it has the, the strong potential to make the practice of distinctly Christian ethics criminal. And we can't stand for that. And, and, and this morning, I hope to shed light on this issue, perhaps from a different perspective than we might think. Um, you know, most of the world knows what we're against. Homosexuality is, is a set. Homosexual sex is a sin. It is. Seeking to change your gender goes against the will of God. It's a sin. It is. And, and the scriptures are replete with examples of this. And any attempt to, to, to change or alter the meaning of the scriptures, one, doesn't work. Two, once you change or alter the scriptures, you no longer have the word of God. It's merely the word of man. But this morning, I'd like to change things up a little bit because I fear that many times when we preach what we're against, we fail to, to, all, to offer a, a better alternative. The world on this issue knows what we're against. Google Christian homosexuality and see what videos you come up. I mean, we can, we can read dozens and dozens of books uh, going in great length, and they're great books offering apologetic and, and, uh, an apologetic and a justification as to why these things are sinful. But we don't ever, I feel like we stop short of offering the better alternative. And that's what I want to use our time this morning for. I want to offer a, a better and a truer way. You see, for, for the entirety of, of human history, sex and sexuality have carried a common understanding until now, the time that we find ourselves in right now. This is a historical fact, friends. 
And this morning we find ourselves living in a world that's categorized by infinite shades of gray, not just 50. Ambiguity is a, is a virtue and, and sexual freedom is the opiate of the masses. You know, Karl Marx would be proud. And I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not offering you a boogeyman of, of Marxism here. I'm, I'm just, this is the reality of the world that we live in right now. You know, th- this is the great deception of our time that our sexual desires define you, determine you, and should always delight you. You know, you see since the, the fall of It breaks my heart even just saying that because life is so much more than our sexual desires. Every husband has to come to this realization uh, really quickly, you know, and and, and we have to deal with this stuff and and, and that we place so much worth and value in our sexual identity that that's where we find our meaning and purpose for life just breaks my heart. And and this is why, this is what drives this message for me is I want you, I want you, if this is you and and, and, and if you're listening in, in, in the future, if this is you, I want you to find the hope that is in Jesus Christ because there's so much more to life than our sexual desires and our sexual identity and our gender identity. You see, since the fall of Adam and Eve, the human heart has set itself in defiance of God's perfect ways. This idolatry is on a collision course with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this is, this is ultimately a battle over truth. Let's not get ba- bogged down in the minutia and, and the name-calling and, 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 and the harsh words. This is the truth about the fundamental nature of what it means to be a human being. The worldview this movement has grown out of is is what's called naturalism. And for those of you who aren't uh, familiar with the term naturalism, it's the idea that that all that exists is the physical realm and everything happens by a purely naturalistic process. And and, and on this worldview, we're just a random quantification of molecules uh, dancing to our DNA, meat suits in motion. And and this matters because our worldview influences how we answer the most fundamental questions of life, questions of meaning, origin, purpose, destiny. I know this stuff intimately because this is the worldview I held before Christ introduced himself to me in the dark, dank bars of Hollywood. I know this stuff because I tried to live this worldview out authentically and in, in a very real way, and I saw where it led. You know, to very dark places very quickly, not too long ago. I mean, this is, we're not even 15 years out from my Christian conversion. But you see, coming out of this, this worldview is the idea that the body and the person are separate. And we see this clearly in, in the abortion discussion. You might say, well, what's abortion have to do with biblical sexuality? Well, hear me out. You know, the debate in the abortion discussion is no longer whether the, the, the fetus is a human being. Science is clear on this. Embryology is clear on this. Every textbook, medical textbook that's worth its weight, that's used in any medical school around the world, says that the, the, the fetus is a human being. The argument is now brought, well, is it a person? Is it a person? There's been a bifurcation between the body and the person. The fetus, in some way, has to earn the right to life by becoming a person because the secular ethic divides the person and the body. But friends, hear me. This shows the naturalist has an immeasurably low view of what it means to be human. Why? Well, because uh, if, human, if a human being uh, isn't enough to, if just being merely a human being isn't no, enough to qualify you for, for the most basic fundamental human right, the right to life, then what is, what is it to be a human being at all then? You know, the secular naturalist view is, is, is that we're just matter in motion, junk, terminal, accidental byproducts of time, chance and randomness. William Provine, he was a, he's now dead, but he was an evolutionary biologist at Cornell. He says that there's no ultimate foundation for ethics and no ultimate meaning in life, and he's living consistent with this worldview. 
Every naturalist or, or atheist, you guys might know that word better, the atheist or any evolutionary biologist that, that adheres or subscribes to naturalism will defend this statement. Richard Dawkins has written extensively on it. He says, he says whether, you, whether, you, whether you live or die, it doesn't matter. It's all, it's all chance. It's pitiless indifference, to quote him, Richard Dawkins. And we start to apply this, uh, this to uh, sexuality, and you start to understand where the idea that biological sex doesn't determine gender comes from. This is the heart of the debate, friends. There's been a, a bifurcation, I said it before, a separation of the body and the person. This is why activists argue biology has nothing to do with gender identity. And in essence, our mind can be at war with our bodies. And since our body is junk, junk, just junk anyway, it can be tossed in the trash because there's no significance ultimately to it, at least transcendently, our mind wins at this war every single time. And this is why kindergartners are being taught their bodies tell them nothing about their authentic self and, and who they are. You see, the naturalist believes our bodies are, are, are part of nature, and, and since nature is the product of mindless, purposeless forces, the body is also a product of mindless and purposeless forces. This, this is the root of so many of, the, the, so many of the, the, the issues that we have in our society. Young folks, students, look at me up here. Students, kids. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You are beautiful just the way you are. The world is going to lie to you and tell you differently, but the world is run by Satan sometimes, you know, he's, and he's the father of lies, right, David? Jesus says that he's the father of lies and he seeks to destroy and he will lie to you to destroy your life. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And in Jesus Christ, you are beautiful, just the way you are. Hear that loud and clear, students. Knit that to your souls this morning. You see, the, 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 the gender revolution that we find ourselves in right, right now, we're, we're told that they have a higher view of the body, but they don't. They don't. You won't hear them say that you're beautiful just the way that you are. You see, if we're the product of these mindless and purposeless forces, the, the body has no intrinsic purpose and, and there's no ob obligation to respect it. We can use the body for whatever we want. And since our bio biology has, has no ultimate meaning, we can make it whatever we want. We can invent things and, and say gender is not binary or, or, or it's on a continuum. You can be, uh, and I'm not poking fun, guys. So let's, I, I want to make sure that you know this. I take this so seriously because I have transgender friends and I love them and I'm not like poking fun at them at all. Like that's, I don't want that to, to I, 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 I love them. But we invent these things and, and, and we say you can be cisgender, transgender, non-binary, intersex, gender queer, gender fluid, gender non-conforming, agender, gender void, and, and more and more and more. And we come up with, with, with lists and lists of hundreds and hundreds of different genders, but it's made up. Feminist Camille Paglia, uh, she defends homosexuality in this way. She's, she, this, this woman is largely uh, and widely known. Okay, she's a, she's a professor, and, 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 and a lot of people read her, and a lot of people in the, in the gender movement are, are quoting her. And she says, fate, not God, has given us this flesh. We have absolute claim over our bodies, and we may do with them as we see fit. 
You see, friends, instead of condemning our LGBTQ plus neighbors to hell with the clobber verses from scripture, it would be better that we ask them strategic questions. Why should I accept such an extreme devaluation of the body? Why has it become acceptable for a person to mutilate his or her body or, or engage in extremely harmful sexual activities but not conform his or her mind to something better? This is what Paul is urging the, 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 the people in Rome to do. Therefore, I urge you, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living and holy, holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service and worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, it's the Christian who, who has the higher view of bodily worth. For where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, it's Ephesians 2. See, sex and gender are part of God's perfect creation and they're intrinsically good. When you boil it down, and, and, and contrary to, to popular, the popular narrative, the LGBTQ plus movement especially as seen in the transgender discussion, is driven by the idea that you have to hate your body. It's more than, it's more than this. Males and, and females are, are the biological and, and physiological counterparts to each other. This is, this is how we've been designed. Denying this is, is to contradict the design we see every single day all around us. Eyes are made for seeing. Ears are made for hearing. Wings are made for? Fins are made for? I'm going to let you parents pick up the anatomy lesson and their purpose with your kids later, but we see it as we just see the normal functioning of human beings. Certain body parts are made for certain things. You know, and, and one trans activist I read uh, recently asked, why should my biological sex have any say in how I live my life morally? And this is a profoundly disrespectful way to view the body. And I urge, and, and I argue that it leads to self-alienation as, as the person gradually becomes more and more distanced from the reality that their body is an integral part of who they are. You know, this is evidenced by the regret expressed by trans men and women who surgically alter themselves only to regret the decision. There's a fantastic book, if you guys have taken notes, a fantastic book, and, and, and mind the title, I, I don't like the title because it's a little pithy for me, but it's called when, when Harry Became Sally is the name of the book, and it's really well researched, and, and, and it's, it's a great perspective on this, and in it, the, the author, he includes stories from the trans community expressing regret. Not people who have reversed their ideologies and come over to a Christian perspective, but people who are still in that, but saying, you know what, my surgery, my, my, my transformation didn't solve my problem. You know, this is evidenced by these people who lend their testimonies to it. I, I love Malcolm Muggeridge's words, and, and I think they're proving prophetic today. And <coughs> as I was prepping, I don't know if I should include them, but I'm going to because it's gonna go long anyway. He says this, Malcolm Luggage, like, listen to these words. This, this was, oh my gosh, it was almost 100 years ago now. He says, so the final conclusion would surely be that whereas other civilizations have been brought down by attacks of barbarians from without, ours had the unique distinction of training its own destroyers at its own educational institutions. 
and then providing them with the faculties for propagating their destructive ideology far and wide, all at the public expense. Thus did Western man decide to abolish himself, creating his own boredom out of his own affluence, his own vulnerability out of his own strength, his own impotence out of his own erotomania, himself blowing the trumpet that brought the walls of his own city crumbling down, and having convinced himself that he was too numerous, labored with pill and scalpel and syringe to make himself fewer. Until at last, having educated himself into imbecility and polluted and drugged himself into stupefaction, he kneeled over a weary, battered, old brontosaurus and became extinct. You see, the biblical ethic for sexuality, the biblical ethics for life in general is the better ethic. Anything else just leads to death. You know, I mentioned that, that we're known for having a negative message, and, it, and it, yeah, it's a sin, like, right? I, it, 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 homosexual, homosexual sex is sinful. But there's also a better way, and I think there's a better way to communicate this, and our message should be, why do you accept such a demeaning view of your body and biological identity? We should be leaning into people and asking them to defend their worldview instead of us clobbering them, as I said before, with these passages, a handful of passages that are, that are almost meaningless now to, to people outside of our camp. We need to show the Christian ethic is a better ethic. We should be, we should be taking our moral cues in this area from our bodies, and, and when we do, we experience self-integration, not self-alienation. What, what I'm saying is that when we live in harmony with the purpose for which we've been made, <coughs> we will be more fulfilled. No, and, and, and I know this personally, because I, I, know I, have, I have a number of friends who would attest to this. My, my good friend Beckett Cook, who I'm now traveling the country with speaking on homosexuality in, in front of excuse me, uh, huge crowds. This is a man, uh, same-sex attracted man who, who was living his, uh, uh, an amazing life in Hollywood as a set designer, famous, winning awards. The dude had a private concert at Prince's house. Like by Prince, that would be so cool, right? And he's, he's, he's mingling with all the, the people and he, and he was gay and, and had multiple boyfriends and multiple sexual encounters in any day. He went to church one day, Reality LA, and he got saved at the service. He got saved, and in that moment, they, 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 they called the medics because he was in his chair, convulsing with tears in repentance. And since that day, he's, he's, he's left that, that world, logic because he's been canceled. He still has same-sex attractions, but he chooses not to act on them because what he would say is, he says, why do I need a boyfriend when I have Jesus? That's what he says. Christopher Yuan, a similar story, even more radical, ran the, the, the underground gay and drug scene in Atlanta. The cops busted him. He got sentenced to six years in prison because they found him with like, something with like the equivalent, the street equivalent of like two million pounds of marijuana in his house. He got saved in prison. <coughs> Incidentally, he also contracted HIV in prison. He ended up getting his graduate degree, now teaches uh, biblical hermeneutics at Moody Bible Institute. And he travels the, the, the world speaking on these things. Rosaria Butterfield, if you haven't read her stuff, it's amazing. She was a leading voice in the, in the lesbian movement. But after witnessing the love that's offered through, her, through, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, she was able to find her fulfillment no longer in her sexual identity, but in the identity, the true identity of who she is, an image bearer of God, of infinite value and worth. 
constantly forever loved. Our call is to, to honor our bodies and to live in accordance with the Creator's design based on the high view of the dignity of the human body. Our message is that, that we will always be more fulfilled by the true story of reality. <coughs> Excuse me. So what is the true story of reality? What is this better alternative I keep to, oh, thank you so much. It's like half drunken, but that's cool. Okay. <laughs> He's like, hey, here's my water, thank you. Oh. So what is this better way I keep talking about? Let me tell you. You know, the, the true story of reality starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And then God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly in the sky. And then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him. And then, and then skip forward to Genesis 2, it says, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in, in, in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the, out of the ground, the Lord God made, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil too. The Lord took the man and, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you, sh you shall surely not eat. You, sh you shall surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the, the scripture goes on, verse 18, Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And while he slept, God took one of his ribs and, and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that, God, that the Lord God had taken from the man he had made, he fashioned woman and, and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has taken out, she's been taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his, pay attention to this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is a beautiful depiction of the story of reality. This is the way the world really is, and this is how God formed it, and there's nothing to be ashamed of in this. It's beautiful, the order of it, and the design of it, and the impact of it. God is, 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 is uh, and then notice this, this is the most important part. God is about bringing glory to himself, and, and he's done this in our lives by creating us in his image. This is every single person that, 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 that has ever existed. Regardless of their worldview, they're made in his image. Regardless of gay, straight, uh, queer, I mean, if they're struggling, if, 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 they're, if they're trans man or trans woman or agender, they're made in the image of God, ultimately. This is the truth of reality. This is how the world really is. <clears throat> but God is glorified through our glorification, you see. 
Paul said, for, for those whom he foreknew, he's also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And, and these whom he predestined, he also called. And, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. But this glory, it just can't be achieved apart from, from our living out in the image of God because true glory is only found in God himself. This, this is why our lives aren't about us alone. And, then, and this is why Camille Paglia, who I quoted earlier, is, is dead wrong when she said, we have absolute claim to our bodies and may do with them as we see fit. We bear an image of another. You see, the, the, the ownership of our bodies is, is in another's image and, and, and we're owned by that other. You know, remember what the scripture says. You, you are not your own. You've been bought at a price. The, the, therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Jesus paid that price for you and for me. Whether you, whether you believe that or not, it's true. This is the true story of reality. This isn't a matter of opinion. It's not subjective. It's, it's objective. It's true of all people in all places at all times. Regardless of your worldview, Jesus Christ died for his people. And since we bear the image of, of another, we're not free to decide for ourselves what's best for ourselves. We should live constantly with the character of the one, or consistently rather, with the character of the one that we portray. Unlike the ethics of naturalism, scripture's commands regarding sex and gender are never arbitrary. They're, they're endowed with incredible meaning and purpose. Friends, what's the chief end of man? to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our sexuality is, is, is a high, has a higher purpose than merely our own desires. Our sexuality is to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Every part of us was created primarily to radiate and testify to the glory of God. When we learn to view the world as, as a mirror of God's divine nature and, and purpose, we're saved from the dead ends of that self-alienation we talked about earlier. Life has a higher purpose than our personal pleasures. As we pursue Christ, even in our sexual ethic, we reflect the glory of the Lord. But we all, with unveiled face, looking as, as in a mirror at the glory of God, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. But there's so much more. There's so much more to this. Loved ones, God created the physical oneness of sex and the duality of male-female gender to serve as a visible image, a, a representation of the spiritual union that exists between Jesus and the church. This is an incredibly beautiful. We need to begin to realize that God created all of life to represent a visible portrait of invisible realities. This is what Paul meant when, when he wrote for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. You see, everything carries with it much more significance than we might think. We see this all over the place in, in, in the scriptures. For example, the Passover lamb, right? We all know the story in Exodus. Right? Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, nah, no way, dude. Get out of here. God's like, fine. We'll bring some plagues. The final one was what? Death of all the firstborn, right? But it came with an instruction. That instruction to his people, the Israelites, the Jews. Slaughter a lamb, paint the door frame, right? With the blood of that lamb. Death will pass over that house. 
your firstborn will be spared. And for I'll go through the land of Egypt on that night and fatally strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the human firstborn to animals and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over. And no plague will come upon you to destroy you when I strike the land in Egypt. And, and the Israelites, they did what they were told, and, and they were spared from the wrath of God through the blood of the lamb, and, and they were delivered out of the bondage and into the promised land ultimately. But, but, but notice the divine intent in all this. God, God did it to point his people forward to the day when a truer and better Passover lamb would come. You see, the yearly celebrations that God instituted with his people to celebrate that Passover represents more than the deliverance from a temporal tyrant. It was all about Christ. You see, it's always pointing forward to Christ. Everything in life, ultimately, guys, the more that we see this, the spiritual reality of, of, of the world around us, see, see we, we've bought into, we've become synchronistic with naturalism. We look at the world around us and, and we perceive it as, as merely just the world. <clears throat> but it's more than that. I mean, just hear me on this, church. Like, just, just as the Passover lamb of the Old Testament served as a foreshadowing or a type of Christ's redemptive work on the cross, so too was sexuality created by God to serve as a living witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so when we think of sex, why should we think of the, we should think of the gospel? Ephesians 5, 20, 24 through 32 is really clear on this, and, and I'm not going <coughs> to, excuse me, oh man, I'm not going to read it because, well, I'm at 32 minutes, but I'd love to, but you can read it, read it today with your family. You know, in it, Paul discusses the relational dynamics of, of Christian marriage while drawing a tight parallel to Christ's relationship to the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and even gave himself up for her. We see it throughout Scripture. The correlation between Christ's, Christ and his bride, the, the metaphor of mar marriage is used constantly. But we often miss, and when we're reading this, this passage of scripture, I feel like we, we miss verse 32. We don't, we don't read through it. Verse 32 says, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. You see, saints of God, the marriage union between one man and one woman for one life is, is, is a representation of Christ's relationship to his church, his bride, drawing upon the ancient marriage formula that, that we all know from Genesis 2.24, which I read earlier. You know, Paul, he, he reveals a mystery for us, something that other, was, was otherwise unknown. Sexual oneness within marriage was created by God to serve as a foreshadowing to the spiritual oneness that would exist between, between Christ and his church, even before Christ and his church were instituted. It's an amazing thing. I love Augustine. Who doesn't, right? For the most part. I mean, this is another man who was, who was transformed. I mean, read about his early life. You talk about sexual promiscuity, and, and he, this, this dude was a partier. He loved life and loved it to the fullest. And then he met God. He met Christ. <coughs> he says, it is of Christ and the church that is most truly said, the two shall be one flesh. Paul is saying when, when a man and a woman come together sexually in a mysterious way, they become one in their flesh. Something profound occurs here, friends, the, as, as, through sexual intercourse. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not merely a physical act. It, that, that's, that's what the naturalists believe. 
But remember, constantly, we've got to remind ourselves that reality is supernatural. There's more than what we see. I love the one way one commentator says, he says, the, the marriage union is not simply a legal union or a social union or a financial union or a family union, but rather a union of bodies, a sharing of physical life. Through sex, two people are joined together in the deepest and most wonderful way, so much so that they're said to become one. This is why sexual intercourse is rightly said to consummate the marriage. This is why any sexual relationship, church, hear me, this is why any sexual relationship that occurs outside the context of that one man, one woman for one lifetime is so destructive, especially emotionally. It's never meant to be a one-time act or a casual thing. The act of sex, it's not for personal pleasure. It's not meant to, 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 uh, to, to draw someone close to you. It's not meant to earn somebody's love or satisfaction or approval. I mean, in, in, our, in our sexualized culture today, these are the things that we believe, but these aren't true. Sex is meant to initiate and sustain a lasting bond of one man and one woman, and ultimately it points to the union between Christ and his bride, his church. And this is the most significant part of it all. You know, sex and sexuality aren't an end in themselves. They're representations of something so much higher, pointing to a deeper reality of the gospel. I mean, scriptures replete with the reference of the bride of Christ. And, and, and if we actually want to come to full understanding, the, the proper understanding of biblical sexuality points us beyond even Jesus, guys. It gets so much better than this. I, I really do wish I had like three hours up here. It points even beyond Jesus. It points, it points through the cross and, 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 and past the resurrection and ultimately to the final resurrection. You see, you see, all things are being made new. God will make everything new. There's a restoration of these ordinances, these creation ordinances that have come upon us. There's a restoration of them currently happening. You know, Revelation talks about the, the wedding supper of the Lamb and the inaugurating uh, and the dawning of the eternal age. And listen to the language they use. Let's rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. Now, the astonishing thing to all this is, is, is the knowledge that this connection between human sexuality and the gospel was, was purposed before the foundations of the earth. As Paul tells us, the sexual oneness of marriage refers to Christ and the church. And, then, and, and just as God ordains the Passover lamb of the old covenant to prophetically witness to the coming sacrifice of Christ, so too God ordained human marriage and sexuality from the very dawn of creation to testify to the coming wedding supper of the lamb. This is amazing. And I'm wrapping up. You know, here at the, at the end of our time, as I was writing this message and, and, and researching it this past week and going through the information, Paul's words to Timothy came to my mind. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, skillful in teaching, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snares of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. 
C.S. Lewis says that we've never looked upon a mere mortal. Everybody has an eternal soul. And, and we, as the bride of Christ, need to be moving into this issue, this difficult issue, with humbleness and respect and not be quarrelsome, but we should be kind and skillful in our approach. I want us to remember that behind every question is a questioner. Behind every objection is a person struggling to escape the snares of the devil. Oftentimes, they, they don't even know that they're ensnared, right? They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, and God has given them over to their disobedience. And instead of having that stir up a condemning spirit in us, our hearts should break for them because they, they haven't experienced what we experience. They haven't been born again. That veil that, that's been removed from our eyes where we get to see and witness the glory of God hasn't been removed from their eyes. They haven't seen the world as it really is. They're still, they're still covering their eyes with, with, the, with the, the, the jaded glasses and we need to help them through the work of the Holy Spirit and God himself. This is why I want to approach this issue from another angle. I've said it now three times, homosexual sex is wrong, it's a sin. Seeking to change your gender doesn't comport with God's plan and, and reality, but we all struggle. Francis Schaeffer said that in this life we'll, we'll never completely be free from sin, but we can see substantial healing. I find so much hope in that because, guys, do you guys, I, I, I struggle so bad with, with my body. I struggle so bad with, with, with the sin that, that's just like pervasive and just doesn't seem to want to quit. And I'm, I'm so looking forward to glory. And there's hope because, for, in Schaefer's words, there's some, we, can, we can hope for substantial healing. Pastor David, he said, we, we text back and forth as the preparations of the message, and he said this, and it's just so good. Original sin and actual sin combines with the demonic lead often to very twisted and deep perversions. This is your pastor who wrote these words. This is so good. The, the, these are in us, manifested in different ways, but in us. We're still without excuse while we're lost, so the power of the gospel must be greater than all of this, and it is. You know, Paul secures this in 1 Corinthians. Or do you not know that when the unrighteous will not, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Friends, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or homosexuals, nor thieves, nor, gre nor the greedy, nor the habitually drunk, nor the verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is the bad news. This is the bad news. Now listen carefully to the good news and, and, and be of good cheer because it's only good news because there's bad news. All right, and the good news, he, he, Paul says this, <coughs> such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of of our God. You see, Paul is addressing this church and he's saying that you were these things. He's saying that you were an idolater there, among you. There were adulterers. There were homosexuals. There, there were thieves. There were greedy. There were the habitually drunk. There were verbal abusers. But you've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been made clean. Not by your own effort, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been washed and purified by Jesus Christ himself. God no longer sees your sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ wrapped around you. He sees his son who he loves. And because of that, he loves you. Apart from anything you do, 
You can't lose it. There are no returns in the economy of God. And because of this verse, we can find hope that the gospel can cleanse us. And because of this hope, we should be moved into the world that's struggling with the snares of the devil. We should be bringing the hope of the gospel to the world around us and been pointing them through their sexuality to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It takes, it, it takes this to conquer that and conquer this it does. And this is why we can't back off preaching these issues in churches. And this is why we need to stand firm while offering a better story of reality, a true story. We'll never back down. As long as I'm a pastor here at Soli Church or anywhere, we'll, we'll always stand firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, church, I'll leave you with this. Grace doesn't require you to, back, to, to go back in time and undo what can't be, what can't, can't be undone. Thank God. Grace simply asks that you trust Christ as the one who is what you're not. The one who did what you can't do. And the one who will help you become what you could never be on your own. You see, friends, philosophy of, philosophies of the world and its human governments might gladly send people to hell. But our calling is to rescue people with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we stand foolishly and faithfully on the eternal word of God. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus is the Lord of lords. And Jesus' word and his law govern history, and he, they will forever and ever. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share this message this morning. May it be well received with those who agree and who don't. Would we see hearts and lives transformed? Holy Spirit, you can, you can do amazing things. We've seen it in, in our own lives, and we've seen it here in this church, and we've seen it around the world. Would you bring a reprieve to our Canadian pastor friends and brothers? Would you bring a reprieve to them? Would Trudeau, who just got elected to a new term, Lord, would you cause him to, to, to be repentant? Would you smash his teeth into the ground until he repents? And he changes his ways. Would that government there find forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ and the hope that's offered through it, Lord? And would our government not follow suit? Would we maintain the status of free speech, free worship, and free exercise, Lord? We love you. We'll do whatever you say. Here are we. Send us. We love you, Lord. Help us love you more and each other better. In Christ's name, amen.